Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have your Bibles, as Pastor said, we're going to be in the book of Esther. We're going to start off tonight in Esther chapter number two. Esther chapter number two. And uh, I'm so happy to be here with you all and to be speaking on uh, the book of Esther tonight. Kids, here in a few minutes, I'm going to have a couple of you guys come up. Since it's our uh, Sunday night service, I'm going to get the kids involved in a little thing. So be ready. I talked to a couple of you before the service. I'm going to have you guys come up here in just a few minutes to help me out with an illustration here in just a few. Have you ever felt alone? pretty obvious question, right? Yes, all of us have. How about hopeless, fearful, lost, uncertain of what's going to happen next? I think it's safe to say that every single one of us have. We've all been there, and sadly to say, all of us will probably be there again. We don't think like God does, which is actually a really good thing, because if we did, we'd probably be scared to death of some of the things that might be coming down our path one day. But all of us have been there, and all of us are going to be there. I think of one time in particular when I was in college, I was going to visit Mary. She was, uh, I had just met her and I was going to her house for Christmas and I'm on my way there and Mary lived, I lived in the middle of nowhere, but Mary really lived in the middle of nowhere. So go to the middle of nowhere, no lights, no nothing, and take a right and keep going for a couple hours into more into the middle of nowhere. And that's where Mary grew up. There's nothing really there. So I'm traveling, I didn't know this at the time. So I'm traveling from college, which was in, near Chicago. And I had to go around the lake there, up towards Michigan, to the very, very top of Michigan. There's not much in Michigan. If you've ever been to Michigan, you'll know there's nothing really there. So I get up to Michigan, I get to Grand Rapids, which is about a quarter of the way there, and there's nothing. And I'm still four hours away. So I keep going, and I keep going, and I get to this part where it tells me to take a right on this random road that's not even marked. And they just keep going for like 50-some miles. I remember going down this road, it's starting to get dark. I left the college way too late. It's probably eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night at this point. There's snow everywhere because it's in December. And in Michigan, about 80% of the year, there's snow on the ground. And I'm traveling on my way there. There's ice all over the road. I'm having to stop like every three or four minutes to let deer go across the street. There's no, over, there's no lights overhead lighting the road. There's only one lane on each side. And I haven't seen a car in forever. And on top of it all, I'm 45 minutes away from the closest city that I passed 45 minutes ago. So I'm on my way there, and the best thing that can possibly happen when you're going somewhere where, you're not, where you don't know where you're going, my GPS just stops. So I've been driving down the road before, you know, maybe when you get to a place where there's no signal, and like the map turns gray, and you just see that blue line going, but it keeps telling you where to go. No, mine just stopped. It's like, no, I'm not going to help you anymore. You're on your own, man. And my phone had no service, so I couldn't pull it back up. So here I am, complete darkness, driving this old 2001 Ford Taurus that I didn't even know would make it there. And I'm thinking to myself, if I break down, if I hit a deer, I have no idea what to do. I'm 45 minutes away from the closest city. There's no one around. I haven't seen a car in who knows how long, and I can't get a hold of anybody. My GPS decided, no, nah, I'm not going to work anymore. In that moment, it was a little uncertain for me. What's going to happen next? What in the world am I going to do? For a moment, just a moment there, I'm like, I am in trouble here. Luckily, nothing happened. I made my whole way there and everything was good. But for a moment, I had that feeling of complete hopelessness. Like, I am in trouble. Or even recently, a couple of years ago, 
One of my close friends growing up, his name was Richie Yao. He was a great friend of mine. He was my martial arts instructor. And me and him, he taught me a lot. He's like a second dad to me. We, he taught me so much. He's the best man at my wedding. And a couple of years ago, he passed away. And I remember that night when I got the news that he had passed away, my heart broke. And for a moment, even though I was surrounded by friends and family and my wife and everybody, I felt alone. I had lost someone dear to me. I did not know what was going to happen next. And today we're going to look at a story here in Esther that a lot of times is not told correctly. And you don't get the whole background and you don't get everything that happens after the story. And we're going to look in the story tonight and we're going to see some really interesting things about God. We're going to look at a group of people who were captives, ripped away from their homes, and now by the king's law were sentenced to death. Every single one of them. There's some uncertainty there. I'm sure there was some fear there. Yet we will see that even in their distress and even in their, imp in their impending doom, God was working all along. Even though you won't find his name in the entire book. Let's look at Esther chapter number two. We're going to be turning through this book right now. I'm going to read a couple different sections here. And we're going to, we're going to talk through the book of Esther tonight. Esther chapter number two and in verse number 21, it says, In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthin and Teresh. That is probably my favorite name in the entire Bible, Bigthin. I'm not sure why, but every time I read that, it just is an awesome name there in the Bible. Of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when the inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. Look over at chapter number 3 and in verse number 13. It says, And the letters were sent by post unto all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for prey. Look over in chapter number four and in verse number 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And finally, look over in chapter number nine. And in verse number one. Now in the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be the enemies of, or to be put in execution in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary that the Jews had ruled over them that hated them, the Jews gathered themselves together in the cities throughout all the province of the king Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as ought their hurt. And no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all the people. Tonight we're going to look at some very interesting facts in the book of Esther. And then I want to talk to you about God, who's not even mentioned in this book. Originally I was going to talk about Mordecai. He's a really cool character in this story. And I was going to give you a couple things out of Mordecai's life that would be helpful to our lives. But then I started reading the book and studying, and I realized Esther's not the main character. Mordecai is not the main character. In fact, the main character in this story is somebody that's not even mentioned. It's God. And we're going to look through this story tonight. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. And then we'll get started into the book of Esther. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for being so good to us. Lord, as we have opened your word, 
I ask that you would speak through me. Lord, I've prepared and I believe that this is exactly what you want me to speak. So God, I pray that you would speak through me. If there's somebody in this room, Lord, that is struggling with their faith or their trust in you, would you help them to be encouraged tonight? God, thank you for being so good to us and for giving us a place where we can come and worship you freely. Lord, we love you. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At this time, I'd like to ask little Sammy, Trey, Eli, and Victoria to come on up to the front. Since it's our Sunday night service, I'm going to get the kids involved a little bit tonight. I'm going to bring this chair right over here. Sammy, you're going to have a seat right here in this chair. And you're just going to face kind of that direction, all right? And then could I have Eli come over here and stand right next to him? And then Trey and Victoria, I'm going to have you guys stand off to that side over there for now. In the book of Esther, there are four main characters. You have Esther. Everybody say hi to Esther. This is Esther, all right. This is Esther. Esther is who the name, the book, who the name of the book is written after, Esther. But oddly enough, she's not really the main character in the story. In fact, the main character in the story, if you had to go according to who it's written mainly about, is Mordecai. Hello, Mordecai. Your name is now Mordecai, so you're no longer Trey. You're now Mordecai. So if you see him after the service, he is now Mordecai for the rest of the day. Over on this side, we have two other people. We have King Ahasuerus, who in this story, to be honest with you, is completely clueless about absolutely everything going on around him. It's insane. And then next to him, Eli, you're going to be Haman. And if you know the story of Esther, Haman is not somebody you want to be. Can you give me like an evil little look right here? Little evil look, yeah, right, just like that. And Haman was like the evil person in this story. And there's nothing really good about Haman. But Eli, we love you. Don't call him Haman. He's still Eli after church, all right? But he is going to represent Haman in this story. So in the beginning of our story, chapter number one, you have King Ahasuerus who's having a feast. And he's having this beautiful feast, has all of his friends over, and he wants his queen Vashti to come out so he can parade her to all of his friends. And she says, no. No way, I am not coming out there. He says, fine, you're no longer the queen. Get out of here, all right? You're no, longer, you're no longer the queen of this country. So we go into chapter two. That's all that really happens in chapter number one. We go into chapter number two, and King Ahasuerus makes this crazy decree that he wants all of the young ladies, all the young virgins all over his country to all come to the castle or the kingdom, wherever he's at. I imagine him being in this big, tall castle, all right? Because he was a very egotistic guy, all right? He loved, he was so full of pride. We still see in the story later. And he wants all of them to come for this beauty pageant, so to say. Only it wasn't really a beauty pageant because these girls didn't have a choice. They were ripped from their homes and they were taken to King Ahasuerus' place. Not really a fun start to our story today. Not really the same way that VeggieTales tells it, right? VeggieTales makes it seem like there's a huge, awesome story where Esther decided she wanted to marry the queen, but that's not the case. So Esther is taken from her home, from her, from her adopted dad, Mordecai, and she is taken, come on over here with me, Esther, to the king's palace, along with many, many, many other people. You can stand right here. And she's taken to the king's palace to live. And for four years, this beauty pageant goes on. That's a long beauty pageant. Where ladies after ladies keep coming to King Ahasuerus, and finally, King Ahasuerus decides, I like Esther. I want Esther to be the next queen. Now, here's the crazy thing. In today's society, when you get married, the queen has, like in, in England, it's not the queen. They have a lot of power. Esther had no power. She just had the title of queen. And she lived in the palace with the king, but 
nothing really happens. That's really what happened in chapter number two. But chapter number two ends off with a very interesting story with our friend Mordecai over here. Mordecai was a really good guy for most of the book. He made a lot of really good decisions. And he, even though he was a Jew living in exile, he saves the king's life. Big Finn and Abira and uh, Terah decide that they are going to try to kill the king. They were two random people mentioned in the Bible one time that were guarding the king. They said, we want to kill him. We're going we're to hurt him. And Mordecai finds out about it. And he tells Esther exactly what happened. And Esther tells the, the guards and they take care of him. But here's the thing, nothing happens. Mordecai doesn't get any praise, which seems like he's okay with it. Mordecai doesn't seek any attention. In fact, he doesn't even go to anyone and tell them about it. As far as we know, he saves the king's life. And the only thing that happened to it was it was written in the Chronicles of the Kingdom. That's it. Goes no further than that. So we continue into chapter number three now, and we have this guy. Give me the little sneaky, little conniving thing. All right, exactly. Haman comes on the scene. And Haman is immediately bumped up to second in command, and he is parading himself. Go ahead and just go on a walk with me. Right, give me just be like you're super prideful. You're walking with your head up in the air, all right? And he's going everywhere, and everybody's bowing down to Haman, except for Mordecai. And Haman gets so angry. Give me the angry look now. He's angry. Yeah, there we go. Exactly. He's angry now at Haman uh, and Mordecai. He goes back to the castle. He's going back to the castle. You're still being paraded around. All right. Come on back to the castle. He's angry. He's upset. And he writes a law that is absolutely insane. It's on the 13th day of Adar, which is about our February and March. All Jews will die. It's a bit extreme for one guy not bowing down to him. All Jews will die. In chapter number four, Mordecai, we start off with Mordecai. He's at the king's gate. He's crying. He's in sackcloth and ashes because he knows that his entire lineage, everybody that's a Jew is supposed to die according to this decree. And he goes to Esther. So come on, come on over here, Mordecai. Esther, come on over here. Come on over. They talk and they're talking. And Mordecai tells Esther, Esther, you need to go to the king and you need him to overrule this. You're the queen. And who knows, God may have put you in this kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther says, I can't do that. <laughs> See, Mordecai, if I go to the king, even though I'm the queen, if I go in there without being asked, I am dead. No ifs, ands, or buts. The only way that I might get in there is if I walk in and he allows me to speak, which apparently in her mind didn't seem like that was probably going to happen. So Mordecai says, you need to do it. You could save the entire Jewish race. So Mordecai heads on back home and Esther is fasting and praying and she's begging God to do something. And this is normally the, where the story explodes right here. Esther walks into the throne room, has no idea what the king is going to say. And the king says, what do you want? Anything you want, up to half the kingdom, whatever you want. Now, Esther, here's the crazy thing. If I were to ask you right now, you could have anything in the entire world, anything, up to half of his kingdom, what would you want? You don't even know? How about a billion dollars? Does that sound pretty good? Sounds pretty good, a billion dollars? Yeah, a billion dollars sounds pretty good. She hasn't asked for money. She doesn't ask for land. She asked him to come to a dinner. Out of all the things you could have asked for, come to a dinner. And the king's like, okay, let's do it. Oh, and bring Haman with you. And Haman's feeling all good about himself. And they all come together for a dinner. They have their dinner. And the king gets drunk. And she says, what do you want, Esther? Anything you want up to half the kingdom. I'll give you anything you want. 
and she invites him to a dinner again. I got it the first time. But a second time, she wants him to have another dinner. So Haman's invited again. King Ahasuerus is invited again. Mordecai, I'm sorry, you were not invited to this dinner. But we go into chapter number six. And this crazy thing kind of happens. It's coincidence. You see that all throughout this book. King Ahasuerus one night just can't sleep. He's in his jammies. He's laying there. He has maybe some like white noise going on in the background. All right. He just can't fall asleep. So he's up. He's up. He's up. And he calls somebody to come in and read the Chronicles to him to read what's been happening recently. And all that will put you to sleep right away. And coincidentally, huge coincidence here, the, the guy reading the Chronicles just so happens to mention Mordecai. And four chapters earlier, where Mordecai saved the king's life. And the king says, did we ever do anything for that guy? Did we ever honor him in any way? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay, so he finally falls asleep. And the next morning, come on back over here, Esther. You can be, stay right here. Haman comes in. And Haman's feeling great. He's having the best days of his life. The Esther, Esther and the king have invited, are going to dinner with him. He's so excited. And he comes in and he's, and he's all happy. Just be all happy for a second. And the king, exactly, just like that. And the king asks him, hey, Haman, what would you do to somebody? Or what should you do? If, if the king really likes somebody and really wants to honor him, what should the king do for him? Now, Haman probably thought, oh, he's talking about me. I'm about to get honored. This is so awesome. I'm so excited. Let's see. You can parade him around the city, which had already happened, all right? You can put the best robe on him, put the best ring on his finger and do all of that. That sounds pretty good. He's okay. Do that to Mordecai. Can you imagine what Haman was feeling in that moment? He went from, yeah, I'm feeling good. Come on. Best day ever to worst day ever. So he has to come over here with Mordecai and he has to parade Mordecai all around the city. And everybody's bowing down to Mordecai. He's parading Mordecai everywhere. He gets back home that night and he is so angry. He builds his own gallows to hang Mordecai on. He was so angry. He goes to his wife and complains to his wife in chapter number seven. Haman, it's about to get really bad for you. So come on back over here with me, Haman. Mordecai, you stay over there. You're going to be important here in a little bit, okay? He comes back over here. They're all, come on over here, Esther. The three of them are at their feast. And once again, Ahasuerus gets drunk. And he says, Esther, anything you want, up to half the kingdom, the third time now. You think she would ask for like half the kingdom or a billion dollars or anything at that point. And here's where it gets really interesting. Esther looks at the king and says, would you save our people? Someone's trying to kill us all. Would you save my life? And the king is furious. Who would try to hurt the queen? Who's trying to hurt you, Esther? Who's trying to kill your people? He looks, he looks to Haman and says, this wicked Haman. And the king is so mad, he stomps out of the room. And when he comes back in, Haman is pleading with Esther. He knows his life is over at this point. And she's pleading to Esther. And the king comes in and says, get him out of here and execute him. So Haman, that's the end of your story, my friend. You ended in chapter number seven. You can have a seat. Thank you so much. So we have here, this is normally where the story ends. 
Esther did her job. Mordecai and Esther did a great, they were a great pair. King Ahasuerus saves the people, right? All the Jews are good. Wrong. The Jews are not safe. That law is still in effect. So in chapter number nine, it's where it gets, or chapter number eight, it's where it gets interesting. Mordecai, all of a sudden, come on over here, Mordecai. He somebody needs to place, needs to take the place of Haman's spot. So Mordecai comes over, and you are now second in command. Congratulations, you are now second in command, Mordecai. And he gets over there, and Esther goes to the king, and says, "Can you please, 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 please get rid of that law?" And the king says, "I can't." That's a pretty big statement coming from a king that I can't undo the law. That's not good for the Jews. They're still supposed to die. So he looks to Mordecai and says, this is where the story really takes kind of a dark turn. It says, Mordecai, write a law that can fix this. So Mordecai drafts a law in chapter number eight that says the Jews can defend themselves. So in chapter number nine, the Jews defend themselves against those that were going to hurt them and get this, they killed over 75,000 people that wanted to hurt the Jews. That's insane. And then in that same chapter, Esther, sweet little Esther, if you watch Veggie Tales, she's just, she's just this cute little asparagus, all right, comes to the king and says, I want all 10 sons of Haman killed. And I want there to be another day where the Jews can go on the offensive and attack anyone that might hurt them. And the king says, go for it. So the next day, there's a whole other day of looting and plundering and killing. And the ten sons of Haman are killed. And a feast is implemented that is still going on in many Jewish households to this day called the Feast of Purim, where God saved his people. In chapter number 10, it ends off with Ahasuerus, his taxes, and then Mordecai, uh, his history record. Thank you guys so much. You guys can all have a seat. Thank you guys for being a part of the storytelling tonight. Yeah, you can give them a hand. They did great. I love that story. It's got a very dark ending, though. But there's a lot of interesting facts in this book. The first one, as I said earlier, is that God's not mentioned anywhere. His name is not there, which gives you and I an invitation. I think it was on purpose by the author gives you and I an invitation to look for him all throughout it. And let me tell you, he is all throughout it. There's role reversals. There's coincidences that just so happen to happen out of nowhere. This is 100 years after the exile into Babylon. And contrary to popular belief and a lot of ways that we see all in a bunch of children's videos and all kinds of ways, Esther and Mordecai were never meant to be the heroes of this story. We are not to put them on a pedestal and say we need to be just like Esther and Mordecai. And may I just say that add this in here? There's really no Bible character that was meant to be put up on a pedestal. So often we look at Bible characters and we think, yes, I want to be just like them. They're my favorite Bible character. I need to model my life after them. But that's not how it's supposed to work. There's one person that should be on a pedestal. There's one person that we should look up to, and that's Jesus himself. And in this story, Esther and Mordecai, they were not supposed to be the moral, amazing heroes of this story. Esther ordered for 10 more people to be killed and for another day of writing, not writing, but looting to go on with the Jews. These are not people to put up on a moral pedestal, but God used all the circumstances for his good and for his glory. He's the only one that should be put up on a pedestal in this story. In this book, it's really a dark, it's an amazing story. And I love this story, but it's really a dark story. There's a lot of drinking. 
There's a lot of murder. There's hangings. There's uh, all those 75,000 people dying in the end of it. Yep. And even some laws in the Torah are broken throughout this. But here's the beautiful thing. Is that even in that huge mess, God's still there. And he's working in amazing ways. The main point of this book makes it, uh, makes it, the main point this book makes is even though Israel is in exile and that God seems absent, God has not abandoned his promises. He's not even mentioned in the book, but he kept, keeps every single one of his promises. I got three very quick points that I just want to give you tonight. Very quick. I know it took a long time going through that story. So if you can listen for just three more quick points and we'll be out of here. The first one that I get from the book of Esther is that God works behind the scenes. And that's awesome. In chapter number two, you have Mordecai saving the king's life. And then four chapters later, boom, out of nowhere, after three, four, five coincidences, it just so happens that he is honored. And then one chapter later, he's promoted to second in command underneath the king. God works behind the scenes. I know you've seen it in your life and I've seen it in mine. My favorite example is in my own life is how God brought me here. As a senior in, bio, as a senior in, uh, in high school, I was, uh, had every ambition and goal to go to Shawnee Baptist College. If you've never heard of Shawnee Baptist College, that's because it no longer exists. It's gone. And I planned on going there. I had filled out the application. I had been accepted. That's where I was going to college. I was ready to go. And in my senior year, gone. It's just gone. It's like it never even existed anymore. They just shut it down. And here's where God starts working in the background. I decided to go to Hiles Anderson College up in Crown Point, Indiana, where there just happened to be a person teaching there at the time that I'm sure all of you will recognize his name, Sammy Roberson. And that fall, I met Sammy, took a couple of his classes. The spring semester, I took some of his classes. And then that summer, I got to travel with him Around the, south, around the southeast area of, of the U.S. on a tour group. I got to know Sam and I got to, I got to spend a lot of time with him. Well, then you guys took him. You stole him. So the, for the next couple weeks or for the next couple semesters, I had no Pastor Sammy there, but I got a call the following spring semester from Sammy. I was on my way to work, going into Chick-fil-A, and, pa and Pastor Sammy gives me a call and he says, what would you think about interning out in California this summer? Now I grew up in the East Coast. And on the East Coast, if you mention California, you're immediately marked as a liberal. Like you are going, you, it's all over for you. Like you're done for. If you even think about California, like it's over for you. They think California is going to fall off into the, east, into the ocean one day. That's just what they believe. Out there. I'm, I'm not making this up either. And I said, yes, I would love to. So I came out to California. As Pastor said, I interned for a summer. And a couple semesters later, Pastor called me to come back out here to work as a children's pastor. All of those, they weren't just coincidences. It wasn't a coincidence that Shawnee Baptist shut down. It wasn't a coincidence that Pastor Sammy just happened to be teaching at Hiles Anderson College for one more year before he came out here to be the Spanish pastor. It's God working in the background all along. And in your life, things are going to happen. In my life, things are going to happen that we just don't get. We just don't understand. It makes no sense to us. But here's the beautiful thing. It doesn't have to. Because God knows exactly what's going to go on in your life and how you're going to get from point A to point B to point C. And all throughout our lives, even when we don't see it, he's working in the background. Number two I see in this story 
And this, I, I, loved, I love this point. God uses us even when we're surrounded by sin. Children of Israel in Babylon, exiled. Queen Esther in a beauty pageant for a drunken king who was a leader of a pagan nation. And yet God used Mordecai and Esther to do some amazing, amazing things. Surrounded by sin all around them. But God used them to save the Jewish people. Esther was ripped from her home, forced into a four-year beauty pageant, selected to be the queen of a pagan nation, which according to the Torah, the Jewish law, she was not allowed to be married to a Gentile. That had to feel awful for her. She didn't have a choice in the matter. It's either you marry the king or you die. She had to feel awful. But even in the midst of all the sin going on around her, God still used her. And in our day and age today, we are surrounded by sin everywhere we look. But God can still use us. Which is a wonderful thing because here at Liberty, I'm the children's pastor at Liberty, but I still sin. I hate to break it to you, but our pastoral staff, while we try our best to live a godly, holy, separated life, we're just sinners. Yet God still chooses to use us each and every week in multiple different ways. The kids team, I'm sorry to break it to your parents, but none of us are perfect. Yet God uses us every single week to impact the lives of young people here. And to be honest with you, none of us in this room are perfect, but I'm so thankful that even though we're in sin and surrounded by sin, that God can still use us. We just have to let him. Number three, we'll be done. So we have that God works behind the scenes. God used us even when we are surrounded by sin. And finally, God keeps his promises. It's the theme of the whole book. It's that God keeps his promises. God promised that one day his son would come through the line of Israel. And even though wicked Haman tried his best to wipe out every Jew there was, God kept his promise. And eventually, decades and centuries later, a savior would come through Israel. He kept his promise. And in your life and in my life, through this story here, even when we don't see God working, even when we have no idea where he's at, even when we're surrounded by a sinful world around us, remember, church, that God keeps his promises. There's so many promises throughout the Bible. In Matthew chapter number 28, he says, for lo, I am with you always. In in Hebrews chapter number 13, he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In John 14, 3, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. In Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer me. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And John 14, 13 and 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. God keeps his promises. This book here is filled with all kinds of promises that God has made for us. And his ultimate promise is that in the back of the book, we're going to win one day. We're going to be perfect one day. So when life gets hard and we can't see the end and we feel like the Israelites, like we were in exile, God, where are you? Remember, God keeps his promises. Even though we may seem lost, even though we may even be living and surrounded by sin, even though God seems absent in our lives, God is still there. He is still working. And he always keeps his promises. So when you don't understand what's going on around you, when you think you're too far gone, 
And even when he's nowhere to be found, he's still there saying to you, I am still here. I am still here. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.